Back in July of 2022, <clears throat> we went through a short series on the basics of the Christian life. We covered the essentials of salvation, the importance of Bible reading, the topic of worship, and the need for prayer. The message on prayer was taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. The Lord gave his disciples and consequently us the pattern for prayer in that passage. This morning I'd like us to look at the next chapter in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, and see how Jesus continued the lesson of prayer. It's an ongoing lesson. It's one that I hope we will keep before our eyes and before our hearts this year. And so the posters at the front of the auditorium will remind us of what we read in Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. The title of the message this morning, Ask, Seek, Knock. There are two places in the New Testament where we find the Lord's pattern for prayer, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13, as I mentioned, but also over in Luke chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. It's actually, um, it's, we referred to it as the Lord's prayer, but it's actually his, his pattern for prayer. The Bible never says anywhere where the Lord actually prayed it. The Lord's high priestly prayer is recorded for us in John chapter 17, and I hope that we'll be able to study that soon. But we'll look at both passages this morning, but let's start in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. We have an invitation to pray. When Jesus invited his disciples to pray, he used three simple verbs that show us how we are to pray. Our prayers, first of all, should be personal. Notice these three verbs, they're imperative verbs, those are commands. They're made with uh, an individual in mind. The subject of the verb is understood. Do you remember back in grammar, an understood subject? Here the understood subject is you. You ask and it shall be given you. You seek, and ye shall find. You knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Don't be content to leave your request at the church office so that it's on our prayer guide on Wednesday night, and that takes care of it. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. Pour out your heart to him on your knees. Prayer is the, the duty and also the privilege of every believer. Prayers should be personal. Prayers should also be persistent. All of these verbs are in the present tense. That's continual action. We could say, keep asking and it will be given you. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. Don't stop after one prayer. Keep praying. How many of us have given up on something that we say, well, God just doesn't want me to have that one, so I'm going to stop praying Keep praying, especially if it's for a loved one. Our prayers need to be persistent. Our prayers should be purposeful. The three actions described here build in their intensity. Asking leads to seeking, and seeking leads to knocking. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown write, there seems evidently a climax here, expressive of more and more importunity. And we'll talk about that word more, but it's a persistence. 
You might uh, have heard someone went to the hospital, and so you decide, I'm going to call and see if they're there, see if they've been admitted. And you'll call the receptionist, and they'll give you, usually, the, when you give them the name of the person, and you have to make sure that you know the spelling when you do that, but uh, when you give them that name that you're asking for, and if they're a patient, they'll give you the room number, and they'll let you know, uh, they'll, they'll offer to contact that room, even on the phone. You ask. But in order to go by and see them, you'll need to get in your car and drive to the hospital. You'll have to maneuver around the hallways because all hospitals are difficult to, to maneuver and you have to find directions, but you seek until you find that room that you are given. And then it's always a good idea before you go into any room at the hospital to knock first, especially if it's closed. It's a good idea as you walk in to look at the name on the whiteboard to make sure that's the person. I've got some interesting stories. Um, I had prayer actually with a family that was gathered around a loved one at the hospital and they had the same name as a, some, somebody that I was going to visit, but it was a different person. After praying, they stopped and I finally gathered that they weren't the person I was intending to pray for. They thanked me anyway, but uh, make sure that you knock. Well, how do you pray? Are you content just to make a call to the information desk in heaven and say, uh, I'm just checking in? Do you follow up by searching his will? Do you keep knocking until he opens the door? Too often we just want to leave a message. We think, well, maybe God will get back to me. I don't want to take a lot of his time. Oh, but he has told you. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. He wants you to pray. An invitation to pray. A reason to pray. The reason to ask, seek, and knock is stated in verse 7. It's also now in the second person. It will be given you. You will find. The door will be opened to you. The reason is repeated in verse 8, where the subject changes from the second person, you, to the third person, everyone he and him. Did you notice that in verse 7? There's a move from the individual responsibility, you are to do this, to a universal principle that all of us who pray will find this to be true. No one is left out of God's providential care. We need to pray because everyone that asks receives. Because he that seeketh findeth. Because to him, third person, that knocketh, it shall be open. One older Christian lady was telling of how God answered a prayer directly in her life. And someone asked the question, and how do you explain that? She said, I don't. It doesn't need explaining. I just took the Lord at his word, and he took me at mine. A reason to pray. The truth is illustrated in everyday family relationships, a father's desire to give what is needed to his son, verses 9 through 11. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? There are three rhetorical or three questions in this verse. The first two are rhetorical. Who would give a stone to a son who asks for bread? Now I remember when we were 
at Bible college, we would be served at breakfast scones. And we would always quote this verse, if a student asks for bread, will you give him a scone? <laughs> but the second rhetorical question, would you, would you give a, a snake to a son who asks for a fish? And then there's a, a logical question that follows in verse 11. If you feel the need to provide for your children when they ask for something, don't you think your Father in Heaven wants to do the same for you? The questions are addressed to every man. What man is there of you? Again, this is a, a universal principle. Who out there in their right mind would give something different? It's a universal truth. Let's consider the item that no one would substitute for his child who asks for something. He would not give him a stone instead of bread. Maybe this wouldn't sound so strange if we consider how these two items would appear in biblical times. Weiss says in a book, Insights into Bible Times and Customs, that bread was made of whole wheat or barley. It was baked beside an open fire or in a brick oven. It had the same shape, the same color, the same size as a stone, and it could be easily mistaken. Remember of the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, Satan said, command that these stones be made bread. Stones are plentiful in Israel. It would have been easy to point to some. They were similar in appearance, a stone instead of bread, a snake instead of a fish. Here, the fish and serpent also have similar characteristics. Both are covered with scales. And a snake swimming across a stream may have easily been mistaken for a fish. The parallel passage that I mentioned about the Lord's Prayer or his pattern for prayer in Luke 11 gives an additional question. Verse 11 of chapter 11, we begin reading, If a son asks your bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or, verse 12, if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And here again we have something similar, a scorpion instead of an egg. Well, the scorpions are, are dark. In the Near East, a species of light-colored scorpions, often called the white scorpion, uh, exist, and that may have been something that appeared as an egg. So these things could have been easily mistaken by a child. But what parent would intentionally make a switch to cause harm for the child? No one. The third question that often follows log or that follows logically in Matthew 7:11, "If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? There's a contrast here, a comparison between parents, between our Father, our Heavenly Father. If you then being evil, that's not saying that you're all bad people, but you're human. We have a fallen nature. We, we make mistakes. We're fallible. Our Father in heaven is perfect. There's no sin in him. He never makes any mistakes with our lives. He's never, he's never done anything wrong. And he won't make a mistake in the way he answers our prayers. Look at the way the contrast is worded. worded. If you know how to give what is good to your children, how much more? It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Do you want to comfort your child when he's afraid? 
How much more is your heavenly Father concerned about the things that you face? Do you work to make sure that there's food on the table for your children? How much more does God provide for his own? Do you want your children to make the right choices and do God's will? How much more does your father want them to live lives that please him? The question here is not will the father deny what the son has asked for, but will he give him something bad in its place? Something for which he did not ask. Something that's harmful instead of something beneficial. A stone is useless. It won't satisfy your hunger. A snake and a scorpion are harmful. And no parent would give his child something that's dangerous. And here is just a wonderful lesson of the kindness of our Heavenly Father. What are you asking God for right now? For what do you pray? He's not going to replace that with something that's useless or something that's harmful. He loves you. He is perfect. He knows what's best to give. And so the conclusion is ask. If your father gives good things to them that ask him, then ask. There's a different wording in Luke 11:13. It's not good things there, but it's the Holy Spirit. And some critics have come to the scriptures and say, well, Luke must have had better resources. He was writing later than Matthew, and so he, he copied them instead of Matthew. That takes away from divine inspiration, doesn't it? The difference in the text does not really contradict the promise. It actually supplements answered prayer with another blessing. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Geldenhaus writes, In this, Luke and Matthew by no means contradict each other. For the Holy Ghost is the good gift par excellence, the gift which is indispensable and which brings about all true life and true happiness in the believer and is the source of all good things. Well, there's no contradiction here. He gives good things. He gives the Holy Spirit to those that ask. Now let's turn to Luke and find one more illustration of prayer. We have the illustration from the family relationships, and Luke also includes that in uh, the second story that he gives, but he, he gives another illustration. It's the first one that is not mentioned in Matthew. And it's the story about, uh, about uh, a friend who comes who's in need of a meal at midnight. And the truth is illustrated in this story as well, the truth of answered prayer. Jesus told about this friend, and he shows up at midnight, and he's hungry. Luke 11, let's begin in verse 5. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lead, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And if he, if he from within answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot arise and give thee. Here's a story that would have been very easy to understand in this culture. The climate in Israel is often very hot. 
And those who travel would travel in the evening. And it was not unusual for someone who's traveling like this to show up. They couldn't call ahead and say, this is when my ETA is. But it's not unusual for them to show up in the dark at midnight and need a place to stay and need something to eat. It's much easier for us today. People call ahead and let us know. And if someone just shows up, we can always just run out and find generally a grocery store that's open 24 hours. But in Bible times, where would they go? They would go next door for someone to help. And it had to be, notice in the text, it's a friend. You don't go to an enemy and ask him in the middle of the night. He's desperate. He says, I have nothing to set before him. There's no other means to give what was needed. And remember, this is a lesson about persistent, importunate prayer. We must come with the realization that we have nothing. If help is to come, it has to come from the one to whom we're asking, to whom we're praying. God is the only one that can help us in those times. That desperation led him to do something he wouldn't ordinarily do. Who likes to wake up a neighbor in the middle of the night? He was specific in his request. He said, I need three loaves of bread. He knew exactly how many he wanted. The response of the neighbor is also easy to understand. Go away. We're all in bed. I've often wondered about this phrase, my children are in bed with me. It indicates that this is probably a one-room dwelling. The point of the story is in verse 8. The lesson that Jesus is teaching through this, this parable, this illustration, I say unto you that though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many, that is as many loaves, as he needeth. The word importunity means without embarrassment, asking without shame. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say, persisting in the face of all that seemed reasonable and refusing to take a denial. And the neighbor will respond because of the persistence of the request. Now, you might ask, does this mean that God is like this neighbor? That he doesn't want to be awakened at midnight with our request? That he'll say, just go away and leave me alone? No, he's not saying that at all. Again, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. He's using human stories to illustrate how God responds. God is much better than a friend that we might have as a human friend. You don't hesitate to ask a human friend to help when you're in need. Then don't hesitate to come to God. Even at midnight. I think a great Old Testament example of prayer that's persistent and importunate is found in Genesis 32 when we read that Jacob wrestled with the Lord. It says in verses 26 and through 28, Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he, the angel of the Lord, said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. I wonder, how long has it been since we've wrestled with the Lord all night in prayer? 
Let's keep asking. Let's keep seeking. Let's keep knocking. The application of the point, the verses in Luke repeat the call of Matthew's gospel in Luke 11, 9, and 10. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that findeth, and to him that, knocketh, he, him that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Matthew and Luke wrote, wrote around 50 to 60 A.D. 30 to 40 years later, the Apostle John was still emphasizing the fact that God answers prayer. It's, it's, a, it's a note that has been rung throughout the ages, the history of Christianity. And it needs to be rung again today. And I think that's why this theme is appropriate for us this year. We need to pray. We cannot neglect it because we've always done it. We do it out of habit. We do it out of ritual. We need to renew this communication with God in prayer, knowing that he hears, knowing that he answers. So John writes in John 5, 14 and 15, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. How long has it been since you've prayed? What if God doesn't answer your request? That persistence, that importunate praying, sometimes it's because he knows better than we do what we need. This illustration was given to me. I remember years ago living in a town where I couldn't buy anything to fit me. I used to send away occasionally to a certain big store that I need, for what I needed, and they would send me printed order forms. At the bottom of the forms were some words such as these, if we have not the article you order in stock, may we substitute? Once I said yes, and they wrote, we are sorry, sorry, we have not in stock the article you ordered, but we are substituting, and they sent me something that was worth double the price I paid. They made it a rule, if they couldn't supply the article ordered, to substitute with one of a much better quality. Always after that, I printed it out boldly so that they would understand. Capital, yes. <laughs> when you pray to God, Put on the order form that you're quite willing to let him substitute for every time he doesn't send you what you think you want. He'll always send something far better, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Will you believe the promise that if you ask, you'll receive? That if you seek, you'll find? That if you knock, the door will be opened. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you have a heavenly Father who knows far greater than you do what you need. He's pleased when you come to him with childlike faith. He'll answer you when you come to him even at midnight with an urgent need. God is good. 
Come to him with your prayers and see what great things he will do. Perhaps you're not one of his children. You've never trusted Christ as your savior. Come to him in faith. Let him forgive your sin. Let him be the Lord of your life, your savior. Do that today. And then you can come to him with every request as his child. Let's look to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your word for the simplicity of it, for the invitations in it. And I pray that we would consider again what great things you can do when we obey you and ask and seek and knock. I pray that you would encourage our hearts through your goodness in answered prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.